Uh, I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. John Ackerman joins me now. He is the uh, afternoon anchor on City News 1130. And as we uh, heard a few weeks ago during the municipal elections, their election night anchor, he's also one of the uh, all-too-few broadcasters in this town who devotes time and space to books. I look to his coverage of books for what's new and interesting as well as uh, have come to enjoy his conversations with authors on their books. I'll ask him about his work, his love of radio, and about the state of journalism today. Perhaps he can give us some insight into the business, as well as uh, what might have inspired him to get into the field of journalism. We'll also look at some of the books uh, published in 2022 that we enjoy. There's overlap in the books we've read and covered. So we'll look at uh, what we each found interesting in the year that was. Uh, I've come up with a list of uh, 10 or so favorites, and uh, John has too. John Ackerman is uh, a graduate of uh, Simon Fraser University and uh, BCIT's uh, Broadcast Journalism Program. He has worked at uh, City News 1130 for well over 18 years now with uh, a short stint away at Czech Television. Early in his career, he worked on the Rafe Mayer Show. His uh, Twitter handle is at Ackerman. Please uh, welcome uh, to the Plant Online Program, John Ackerman. Mr. Ackerman, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for thanks for coming in to do this. Um, have you always viewed books as important to the the to cover, say, in your work on, on the radio? Um, it's funny because you you mention uh, you mentioned when I interned with Rafe Mayer, and I sort of uh, took a leaf out of his book, if you will, because he had authors on, um, and I thought that what a what a great way to to have a bit of conversation on, on the radio talking to someone about a a book they wrote and uh i also realized as well that uh talk shows get a lot of free books and <laughs> which kind of uh inspired the the, uh, the bookshelf in a way for me was um if i want a book i can get it for free as long as i agree to talk to someone about it but uh no but when um when i was interning at rafe in, in 2004 he'd have like uh, folks like Eric Nicolon and I, I remember doing a cover sheet uh, on Eric's book, and uh, I, I had no idea who Eric Nickel was at that time, but uh, Rafe took one look at that, and he's like, oh, I know Eric, I don't need this, and then, <laughs> and then uh, both both gentlemen, uh, sadly, uh, long since passed, but uh, that was one of my memories of, of, of my stint over there, it was like him talking to Eric Nickel or getting, uh, Peter Newman had his uh, autobiography out yeah. at the time in 2004, and I remember just there was a big pile of books that they didn't need anymore, and I just took that home and I read it, and I can't even remember if he had Peter Newman on. I ended up interviewing Peter Newman myself years later when he yeah. had another book out. But uh, it's it, the, the, the book reviewing sort of started there um, when, once I, when I was an intern, and then uh, at 11.30 uh, I, I started doing book reviews. This is a way to, uh, to, to get a weekender because yeah. um, when, when you're a dayside in those days, when you were a dayside reporter, you were you were bound to leave a leave a piece for the weekend to use because there's 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 less news time going to on. fill. Yeah, there's time to fill, and there's not as much uh, stuff to put on the air. And then when I became the, I was the managing editor for of weekends for a time, uh, and then it kind of fell on me to produce all this content. So then I started. Uh, putting in uh, coming up with features more often and a lot of the time was uh i would i would i'd find people to talk to to, to interview uh and then i prepared these little features and then it wasn't until a couple years after that that we actually um started calling it the bookshelf mm-hmm. which is a title that uh jim benny uh came up with they may have called it that they may have had a, a similar feature at his old station cko called the bookshelf or it may have been a, a cjor thing 
in any case, uh, then it became a, a regular thing, a regular feature on the air. I, it, it's one of those things where if you look at the bestseller list, whether it's the Times bestseller list in the States or the Globe and Mail's one or the one in the Vancouver Sun, you get a good sense of where people are because they're, they're obviously buying these books and reading these books. Uh, even if you look at the, the public library and seeing what people sign out, you get a good sense of what people are like at, the, at a given period of time. And I think that's why book coverage is, is vital and important um, online, obviously, and in the mainstream media, if you will, in, in broadcast media. I think um, it, it, it's a marvelous filler for talk shows, obviously, to have a guest on. Mm-hmm. But I think you do get a sense of what people are interested in and, and what people are talking about. My my look my my take on it when I do the local authors especially is that they can they need all the help they can get. Yeah. There's there's so much um, content out there. There's so many things to read and to listen to. So if I can do my bit uh, just to get the word out there, uh, even on a book that probably doesn't need my help, like a, like a Eve Lazarus Cold Case BC, like that's that, that's, that's going to be a bestseller, off right whether away. I whether I talk about it or not, or a, or a, or an Aaron Chapman uh, Vancouver Vice, like Grant he doesn't Lawrence's need book, yeah, or they don't need my help, but I I like highlighting these things to our audience because uh, uh, I think it's important that people know about their town, their their province, their their community, and. Uh, these these folks reflect the audience back to them in in the books that they do. Yeah, and, and then one of the books that I liked this year and that I know you liked is is Dan Russell's book Pleasant Good Evening, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, he self published. It's a it's a marvelous read um, if you're into uh, broadcasting, especially because of the insights that he provides. That uh, he's quite candid in the book, isn't he? He's quite candid because I th- I think uh, he. Dan is a very, uh, and I don't think he'd mind me saying this, but he he, he can rub people the wrong way, <laughs> and he certainly uh, he certainly left behind like a wreckage of, uh, of former associations and, and friendships along the way, some of which he regrets and talks about in the book. And uh, I got my list in front of me here. What did I call it? I had a particularly good turn of phrase that I liked. Uh, uh, elbows up, not afraid to go into the corners. Look at his time as host of Canada's longest-running nightly sports show. So that's like a that's a hockey metaphor. And be going in the corners. And he's a sporty yeah. guy. And he was a he he was a scrappy guy uh, both on and off the air. And he talks about um, his, uh, his butting heads with uh, with radio management at the various stations he was at, um, and then sometimes his colleagues too, which is more entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> he he goes after a few people that I know, and uh, you know, I mean that's. That's Dan's truth and, and, and Dan's story, and, and he's he's entitled to do that. And he also talks about um, uh, his his long uh, love hate thing with uh, with former Canucks um, general manager uh, Brian Burke, which is makes for some of the best reading in in the book. And then there's an arc to uh, to uh, pleasant good evening as well, because you kind of see him getting disenchanted, I think, a little bit with with the game of hockey. Or the way that the game of hockey is being run, like he talks about uh, loser points, like when you have an overtime loss, like the losing team still gets so a, gets one a point. point. Yeah. He hates he hates loser points. Yeah. Um, and I think even his love of the Canucks, I think he in his heart he really liked that '94 squad better than the '2011 squad. Um, and there's a few people I think there's a couple people of that 
generation of sports broadcaster. If they were around for '94, um, they they have a softer spot for that that uh, that crew than the 2011 crew because I think they're more of a, a Cinderella squad uh, than than the 2011 guys because the 2011 team was much more accomplished. They had all those multiple presidents trophies. Um, Luongo and the Sedins, they're legitimate Hall of Famers, yeah. whereas uh, the 94 Canuck squad were more of a, a lunch pail team. But they did have Burray, who was like a legit superstar in, yeah. in, in, any, in, in any man's league. But uh, so you, you kind of see an arc with him, like he's kind of losing his love of it a bit, and he's kind of running out of gas a bit with with the, with the business and and with hockey. And um, it, it, yeah, it's a fantastic read. I love it for all the inside radio stuff. I'm from Richmond. He's from Richmond. He started out at uh, at uh, the original Sea Isle, which was uh, nine forty. Um, out in Richmond. Yes, that's why they called it Sea Isle because it was Sea Isle. Because yeah, yeah, Sea Island. Well, or Lulu Island or where? Yeah, yeah there's, they used to be out at uh, what's now Ironwood, mm. which I think is still where the uh, uh, the Stingray Cluster is today, um, which which Sea uh, Isle used to be a part of. But uh, yeah, what's clear when I look at your list is that you're a hockey fan. A um, little bit, little bit. Yeah, I mean, you you have you, um, the the interview, for example, with Brian Trottier. Yeah. Um, are are you like Russell, where where your your fandom, if you will, or your interest in hockey has has uh, changed over the years? Um, I'm I'm nowhere near the kind of fan that he was and is. Like his level of knowledge. I mean, uh, don't forget he talks about like his his original uh, concept. Like the reason he wanted to get into radio was because he wanted to be a play by play guy. Mm. He wanted to be Jim Robson. The the talk thing was just supposed to get him there, but then he also realized that uh, during the '82 Cup run, you know, they'd have the games on the radio, and then they didn't really have a post game. You know, they they didn't they had like a little bit of a post game show, but like nothing like the kind of discussion or conversation that he kind of started. Um, and as he says in the book, or as he says in the interview, he's like, you know, all these great games and moments, and nowhere to talk about it. So he he kind of. It kind of became sports talk became a, a, a sort of a, a town square for for Canucks fans, and uh, especially um, in '94 uh, when they had the when we had the original riots, which which seemed mm-hmm. like a, a a garden party compared to what happened in 2011. <laughs> but you had people uh, phoning in all night, and then it, it's kind of ironic because in 2011 we had the riots. We opened up the phone lines. We had uh, Ben Wilson and Tom Bricker were our evening anchors in those days, and uh, both of those guys were were brilliant broadcasters who don't need a script. Ben could just you know pull up the phone lines and talk to people, and it was riveting radio. And we're all out there too as reporters, uh, calling in and, and describing what we're seeing. And uh, no one wrote a wrote a stitch that night. It was just all free form radio, but. In the in the two sets of hands, um, uh, Tom and Ben, and of course uh, John Strait, who was their producer mm-hmm. at the time, uh, putting this thing on the air. But that became the town square for the for the um, twenty eleven riot was was our station, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Peep, peep, um, that night, especially. I mean, you were out as you said on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think back, because you're behind the desk now as the afternoon anchor. Yeah. This week you've been on on in the mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, did you miss being on the on the on you know hitting the pavement? Say being on the beat. 
Um, yes and no. I th- I've always wanted to be a presenter. Um, I, I, I and I like working up stories like, um, in the newsroom. But I do I do respect beat reporting. I think it's it it's it's becoming increasingly a, a lost art. There's not as much of it going on anymore, especially with um with the way communications. Uh, and, and government and and, uh, and, and the, the sort of gatekeeping that happens with information now, um, but I I do respect it. But I my thing is I always wanted to to present the news to to anchor the news, and I think I had to be a beat reporter to get credibility to do that because uh, uh, being a reporter makes you a better anchor. Being someone who who gets stories and talks to people and and and, and asks questions and and just just to, just getting your reps in, you know, getting those yeah. like uh, I hate to say the the cliche of the ten thousand hours, but you gotta you gotta put your time in before yeah. you go into the booth. I I think. Well, you're one of those people that I listen to that I that, that I actually think knows what the hell they're talking about. Um, but uh, looking back at the last few years, I mean, um, we've lived through the Trump presidency. Um, various elections on various levels. The mm-hmm. Queen dies. We've yeah. had COVID all throughout this. Yeah. Uh, being an anchor, being in the newsroom, um, must have been, over the last three, four years, more than that, four or five years, must have been tough or exciting, to say the least. Um, it's all those things. It's tough. It's exciting. It's draining. Uh, the COVID stuff was really... Um, to use an overused word, uh, just unprecedented because we'd never as a business, I don't think seen something like that before. And we didn't even know how to react to it. And even, even the way we, even the way we covered uh, things like the, the, the release of the COVID numbers evolved over time. Uh, I know in the beginning, everyone used to just breathlessly report how many uh, infections and deaths and, and, and things there were. And then after a while, it evolved where we would try to, you know, let's 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 give some context to this. What does this what does this mean? And then as as the pandemic went on, um, the way that uh, the media sort of uh, uh, cast uh, Doctor Henry um, mm-hmm. as, as the pandemic went on uh, changed and changed and evolved as well. Where now you do have some very good reporting by 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 various people around town questioning um the numbers or or why or how decisions are made whether uh to mask in schools or not whether aerosols travel or, or how aerosols travel like the the science of it and then you, you realize that a lot of the calculations are based on science but they're based on politics too the the last three years i i, I would probably you mentioned the, the covid numbers every day at three o'clock mm-hmm. i would assume that the, the the wheel if you will for your your job where the, the traffic is always at you know the ones yeah that got thrown out a lot because you were carrying press conferences or, or there was stuff other th- not just about covid but other things were breaking it um yeah we, we we would break the wheel i mean we would do our best to like maintain those service elements though because people do depend on us for that sports at a certain time sports and, at know. 15 and 45 business at 26 the the market minute in 13 and 43 uh well i mean i know the i i know the <laughs> clock in my sleep uh but uh i think the, the the thing about the wheel is that there's a certain the listener is conditioned to to having certain to expect certain things at a certain time, and um, but we're also not afraid to to break the wheel. Um, 
for instance, when a few weeks ago when we had the, had the Queen die, um, our Peter Wagner was basically on the air by himself yeah. and just just talking, yeah. you know, just talking about what 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 what, he, what he's what he's seeing coming in through the through the TVs, um, riffing on the wire stuff that. Uh, that was coming in, and then I just I just sort of walked in and, and started co-hosting with them, and we were just talking about what the Queen meant, what the what the institution of the monarchy means and has meant to the country. And because Peter has an interesting perspective, he's he's both Canadian and American, but he's he kind of he can kind of look at, at Canada through with an outsider's yeah. uh, um, perspective because he 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 lives in America, so you know uh, as many times as we got him to explain America to our audience. Uh, in that moment, he was very curious about what that all means to us. And so when you look back at these these last four years, I mean, I, I, I rattled off a list a moment ago of different mm-hmm. stories. I mean, you know, th- this is career-defining for a lot of you people in journalism. Um, I mean, for the people who are, like, covering it, like, uh, intimately, yeah, I think as a, as a presenter, it, it's all it's all news and it's all happening all the time uh i don't know if, if one thing sticks out over another i think um covid certainly is is the defining story of, of this particular era uh just like uh when we had uh 9-11 and, mm-hmm. the, and the war on terror and how that how that sort of changed things like uh airport security air travel everything uh sort of evolved from there um and then after that the the 2008 economic crash was uh changed a lot about radio, and then it, it also was something that it factored into the news a lot as well. I'm a listener two or three times a day, as your, your ads beseech us to do. Um, I like the dependable nature of the format. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing, though, that I, that I hear on your station that I don't get um, is, is the, the tagline, breaking records for speed and accuracy. Where can I find these records? <laughs> Where can I see them being updated regularly when, when you break these records? <laughs> well, you have to give the copywriters a little poetic license, Joe. Uh, you know, it's uh, a terrific line. It's like the, your, your competitor. Your competitor used to have that line that the, the station you turn to an emer, in an emergency. I think they still do. Yeah. Do they? Yeah. And yeah. and it's it's one of these things that you remember all the time. Whose voice is that, by the way? That does all the imaging for for news, city news. Um, I don't know if if he does all the city news, but we have. Uh, I don't know their last names. I just hear their the mentioned uh, around the place. Uh, right now, it's a it's a gentleman named Victor. And the female voice, I think her name is Jules, and they uh, they are sent stuff, and they they sort of play off each other, or or someone at, in our building decides who sounds better reading what, and then it gets it, it gets mixed up uh, that way. When I started at the station, uh, our imaging voice was a guy named uh, Mitch Craig, who has this very you know smoky, yeah. big, deep kind of voice. We used to call him. Uh, uh, some people used to call him Skeletor, but I, I, I still I still get a, a lump in my throat when I go and play the old air checks from when I started, and I hear the old imaging, and I hear that, that voice uh, uh, live from Broadway and Ash from the Rogers Broadcasting Center. Here are so-and-so and so-and-so on News 1130, and then the da 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 comes on. And uh, I, that's what I remember, you know, driving in, uh, listening to the station as an intern. So yeah. uh, those are... Those are the kind of memories I have, but I, I think uh, 
I think our imaging is, is great now too. Yeah, some of those jingles, you know, I, I, especially when it's sort of the beds underneath. Whenever you're reading something, mm-hmm. I, you know, and then and if something does break, I know that chime. Yeah, and and I know that I have to turn up the radio and and sit up straight and and see what's what's going on. I mean, there's a, a, there's a science to all of that stuff, I'm sure, and and you you probably on some uh, subconscious subatomic level you know to turn up your radio when you hear <laughs> us hit that breaking news sounder or that this just in stinger uh which used to sound like someone playing the xylophone really fast uh that ding 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 yeah, ding yeah. uh and i think and that probably we were talking about this off air that probably goes back to to 1010 wins yeah. uh, because they basically invented what we do to this day, and that that ding 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 sound and, but, makes you sit up and take notice. But they have that playing throughout whenever the guy reads the news. Yeah, I think that's uh, part of their opening stinger package. Yeah, yeah. But, but why? Do, do you, so do you do you hear all the things that we're hearing on the radio when you're reading? Say, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, I, the the way we do it on um, at eleven thirty is that we are we operate ourselves. Not every station does that, but I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a booth. There's two workstations. Uh, I'm at one of them, and there's a touchscreen on my right with a, a lo- many of our elements on there. We call them hotkeys, so mm-hmm. I can I can hit traffic, I can hit uh, the breaking news sound, or I can hit this just in. There's some other ones as well: Amber Alerts, uh, Station, uh, Legal ID, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. And then on to the left of that, there's there's a little readout or a screen showing all our our uh, commercials and, and uh, pre-recorded elements. And then on the other side, there's another screen that shows all the different, um, uh, like a VU, like VU meters basically, but, but like in digital form now. Uh, and then there's another little box where I can go to the individual pots and I can change the sources of all of them. And um, we're, we're quite good at uh, operating ourselves. So we're, we're not only, presenting the news we're responsible for for bringing it off on a on a technical level as well and then of course you have the board in front of you so i can pot up uh traffic i can pot up uh, uh, the sports guy i can pot up individual reporters if they're going live i can even pot up the producer's desk if they're going live on a story so it really is uh, a control room as you say yeah is, is it is it um because for me as a listener, it's riveting when something breaks and you mm-hmm. have to go to a reporter. You have to go to Lisa in Victoria mm-hmm. or uh, Cormac McSweeney in Ottawa. Yeah. Um, when you're on the air and, and you, you have to talk to these people, I mean, does that – do you feel ramped up as well? Do you feel do you feel the excitement that we do as a listener? Um, yeah. I, 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 I don't think I'm allowed to say no. <laughs> uh, um, I think what you're talking about, though, is uh, on election night where after about the first hour – <clears throat> all the scripted prep goes out the window because you're then you're reacting to what's happening uh, on the night or you're uh, or you're seeing storylines emerge like when we saw that uh, uh, when we saw Ken Sim and ABC that sort of emerging through the night when as the numbers were coming coming in or or in Surrey with with Brenda Locke and what mm-hmm. was happening uh, with, with her and 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 the the not so very good night that Doug McCallum ended up having that is legitimately exciting and uh i i live for uh election night coverage and and watching those things unfold and because then it's really up to you and and how 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 on your feet you are and how you have your wits about you reacting and 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 just going with the flow and, and also 
how well you can do with unscripted radio. And, I mean, you could prepare for weeks for yep. various eventualities. Yeah. And the minute that these numbers come in, um, whatever you were thinking, it's, you know, you do have to, to think on your feet and, and wonder what the narrative is, right? Well, yeah. yeah. And then you, you with that, you sort of tap into to, to your knowledge of, of what's gone on before. Yeah. <clears throat> and then I fall back to the, the prep I do. I don't, I don't uh, do like what ifs so much. I just go and I, I try to read as much as I can. I, I take little, uh, I take like a eight and a half uh, by 11 sheet of paper and I fold it into like uh, four or six or eight squares. And I, and then I, 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 I sub, I subdivide it by like, by topics, by issues, by, by candidates. So I had like a big sheet for Vancouver and another one for Surrey. And then I had another sheet, uh, just, just laying out the main races in the other, uh, Metro Vancouver municipalities. Um, and then it's not that I, I'm sitting there reading these things, uh, on the night. It's just when I'm trying to think of things or trying to, trying to recall, then I will remember the act of me writing those things out. Yeah. And then that's, that's how I remember things. Yeah. I was listening to the first hour, um, and the, the, the seven o'clock hour before the polls closed. Mm-hmm. And there were things you were being told by your reporters in the field. And, and, uh, you would respond with anecdotes that, that you obviously had remembered, say, from, from your research, yeah. things that I'd forgotten and that, that made it fortified, whatever I was listening to that night mm-hmm. in terms of as, as waiting for the numbers to come in. Um, what did it all mean or, or why did it not turn out the way that so-and-so said it would have? So, yeah, in that's in that seven to eight hour, a lot of it is just, uh, we call it, we tend to call it tap dancing, but we're really kind of uh, setting the table or, or laying the frame yeah. of, uh, of 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 the night to come, and then from eight o'clock onward, it's it, it's reactive. But each of those reporters, uh, they're as well prepared as I am, or if not more, they become um, hyper local experts on, on the races that that they're doing. So if we send uh, like a, if a Robin Crawford's in Surrey, she, you know, she's going to make it her business to know everything about what's happening um, in that, in the, in that campaign season before, and then she can just go live or, and it's great to see someone like that grab um, Brenda Locke and, and, and um, go live with her for two minutes, like right after it happens. That's yeah. exciting for me, hearing someone else, uh, you know, on, on, doing that on the spot reporting that live interview stuff and you don't know what's going to happen and you you're just listening riveted too. So uh, back to our, our list of books, politics mm. yes. biggest figures heavy with with um what you're interested what I'm interested in. Yeah. Um what are some of the political books that you found interesting this year? Uh I found uh Using Power Well, uh oh, Bob, Bob Williams yeah. and and The Making of Modern British Columbia or just this it's the making of British Columbia is the title. I keep throwing modern in there because I don't, I don't know if I can credit Bob Williams for everything that's happened in British Columbia, but certainly uh, there's a lot of things that he can take credit for that's happened uh, since he's been in politics, uh, certainly since since the 60s. Yeah, yeah he's, I didn't know he started out uh, in the city of Vancouver and then he, uh, he, was, he was the east side guy. Uh, the East Van guy, because uh, up until that time, East Van didn't even really have a lot of representation no. in the city. You know what his slogan was that first election? What was that? A better city. A better, yes. And then, <laughs> and so I said, well, that's where Ken Sim got it from then, right? There you go. I, uh, Ken Sim, if nothing else, is a student of history, I guess. <laughs> the, the, speaking of modern British comedy, because the one book that I, I put on my top ten 
as a favorite of the year, was Jean Barman's book, British Columbia and the Balance. Mm -hmm. And um, she wrote uh, The West Beyond the West, which I think is one of the best books about B.C. history. And so this is B.C. just before 1871, so before modern British Columbia, if you will. And and her gift at writing, obviously, is is borne out in that book. But um, her ability to make history interesting, if not exciting, because some of those parts of that book were very exciting. Um, I, I, I thought that that was one of the best books I read this year. I think that is an art too. Um, I, I know that academic historians kind of kind of sniff at that at mm-hmm. that kind of style of writing. Like, uh, um, well, the, the most famous example of uh, uh, of getting sniffed at, I guess, is uh, Pierre Burton and, and his stuff on the <laughs> yeah. railway series. I know that academic historians don't like it. But as as like narrative history or just as something good to read, yeah, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, um, uh, 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 were you always interested in politics? Yeah, oh yeah, uh, current affairs always as a kid, um, and that's that's kind of what what got me into news uh, because it was it was something that was important, and uh, as a, as a kid who wanted to be heard in the house, uh, I, I learned very fast that I should get to know. Uh, the things that are important in the news, or it's almost kind of like when you're a kid and you're and you're trying on your dad's clothing. It kind of it kind of started like that, but also news was very important in our house. Uh, my dad worked in pulp and paper for uh, thirty plus years, and uh, when I was a kid in the early '80s, we had uh, we had you know the these huge towering figures on on both sides of. Uh, of, of labor and capital, you had uh, the Bill Bennett Socreds on one side, and you had uh, um, Jack Monroe and the IWA. Mm-hmm. And solidarity happened when I was a little kid. And just just as when you talk about uh, memories of being a kid, when when the six o'clock news came on, my dad ha- hand would come up and be like, <laughs> "Shut up! The news is on." So you know, I was. I was like five or six. My brother's uh, seven years older than me. So then we would stop and we would watch the news. And that was, of course, in those days when when everyone did watch the six o'clock and news. And it was Tony Parsons and, and it was TV, right? It was Tony. It was it was Pamela Martin. It was Bernie Pascal. It was Nor- Norm Groman. You <laughs> Norm know, Groman, yeah. these were all you know they were they were like members of the family. So uh, yeah, uh, that that certainly um, uh, encouraged um, my love of news there. And then I always. I always liked current events, and I remember I was that nerdy kid in school. Me and there's always like one or two other one of us uh, talking about uh, you know the Meech Lake Accord. It like and we're like <laughs> third graders, yeah, uh, or and I and I have vivid memories of the uh, the 1988 federal election. And that uh, that that free trade debate where you have Mulroney and uh, and John Turner uh, behind the lecterns and 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 Turner's like you know his eyes are like you know piercing blue he's like an avenging angel in that debate. Um, there's a great book came out a few years ago called called uh, Fights of Our Lives. And oh it's, yeah, and John it's Duffy. Yeah. John Duffy, and uh, he does a. He does. He, he that was one of his uh, one of his uh, elections, uh, one of our uh, fights of our lives, yeah. and I, I have I have vivid memories of that. Uh, vivid memories um, of the ninety one uh, BC election, where you have uh, that that again that great uh, debate moment where Gordon Wilson kind of cuts through the mix of uh, Mike Harcourt and Rita Johnston, uh, saying, "And this is why nothing gets done in British Columbia." and 
as a 13-year-old who had been following the news already, uh, I thought that was fantastic. Um, I think my one of my earliest memories of, of news was uh, um, when when Bill Bennett announced he was stepping down. 1986. Yeah. So and then I and I remember that uh, seeing the coverage of that uh, that Bill Vanderzam. Uh, Victory when they had the convention up in Whistler, yeah. which our our mutual acquaintance uh, George Orr covered. Yeah, and I remember this because when I was at BCIT many years later, uh, he had a banker's box just in the hall hall there with his name on it, and there's like just all this like SoCred '86 uh, uh, Expo <laughs> election ephemera poking out, and I'm like, what is this? This is fantastic. You know why I'm laughing is because I have that now. <laughs> oh, you have his. You, he gave me that. Box oh, he of, gave it to you of, of press releases and 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 uh, pamphlets and buttons, obviously. So I have memories of this banker's box from uh, 2003, 2004. So I, I'm I'm happy to hear that it's found a, a good home. It's it's safe in the other it's, room. It's yeah. safe. It's and, safe here at. Uh, Planta World Headquarters. Yeah, yes. um, you mentioned John Turner. One of one of my favorite books of the year was Steve Pakin's biography of John Turner. Um, he he lo- talks about the what that was like in '88, what that was like in '84 when when Mulroney had the better of him in that debate. Yeah, and um, he talks about what it was like working for Trudeau as a cabinet minister. Um, Pakin, I think, is one of our best interviewers in in this country, and and I think um, what makes that book good. Is that because uh, this can work both ways? He liked Turner personally. Mm-hmm. Um, that may not make for a good book sometimes, but I think he overcomes that in this one, and it makes for riveting reading. I, I'm a little envious of you because I didn't get to read that one. I think we we talked about this a while ago, uh, chatting online. That I still have a copy. I think I got it for a dollar from some uh, library used books book sale. Uh, Greg Weston's <laughs> great. Yeah. Reign of Error, yeah. and just reading that because uh, he was a Global Mail guy. Yeah. And so uh, they say that uh, the news is the first draft of history. So he covered and that, Turner, and yeah. that book probably came out around '88 or so. And just reading that book took me right back to being a little kid and uh, watching that coverage. Yeah. Uh, funny story. Now that you make me remember it, I I have a vivid memory of touring the ledge with my parents. And I, I don't know if I imagine this or if this really happened, but I could swear, and I have this memory, that John Turner was walking around the, the legislature buildings in Victoria. He had a little uh, manila uh, file folder, and I said uh, to my mom, hey, look, it's Tom Sidden. <laughs> Tom Sidden was the was the member of parliament for Richmond at the yeah. time and uh probably the fisheries minister at that time and uh, uh you I, I still remember the look on Turner's face he had like this little smile he may have even winked <laughs> didn't say anything and walked away uh for those who don't know or don't remember uh John Turner or Tom Sidden uh, both of them were tall older caucasian gentleman with uh white hair, lots right? of white hair yeah. so to a six or seven or eight year old you could be forgiven for confusing <laughs> the two uh two white-haired gentlemen uh wearing uh, uh blazers um no tie yeah. uh, so yeah hey mom look it's tom Sidden. <laughs> so there you go you just, you just maybe pull that out of the old memory banks. Um, we're we're going to talk about Rafe Mayer in a moment, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think he and Rafe sued each other, 
or Sid and Sue'd Rafe over something. Probably to do with fisheries, uh, I some, imagine. So probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> the other thing that's clear is uh, I've been talking to you these these past few minutes is that you have this this reverence, this fondness for radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, my contention has always been that that the, the people that are good on the radio are the people that um, take the time to know the history of radio. Um, I think of Drex, for example, who's not even from here, who uh, has taken the time to yes. to get to know who was on the station before him and, and how the station came about. Was that important for you early on, say when you were starting a career in journalism, to know um, where you were working and, and the market itself, say? I I think so. I mean, I was very lucky because when I started at 1130, uh, there was there were quite a few people like that still around. So, so Jim Benny, who was the walking... Uh, repository of all sorts of broadcast history and and baseball too. Um, Richard Detman, who also had a, a long and distinguished career uh, in the business, and they could kind of, I, I'd like to think they could kind of see in me uh, a, a bit of a kindred spirit of someone who respected radio, but also wanted to also love the lore of radio. And, and both of them uh, just through their many years in the business, um, had that had that knowledge and that institutional memory, but they too, they they love radio and they love the lore of radio. So I I, I kind of had that uh, in common with them. But even before that, like we talk about uh, uh, Dan Russell, I grew up listening to Dan Russell mm-hmm. uh, on CFMI, and I listened to radio, and I had I had no inc- I I don't think at that time I had any any inclination of wanting to be in radio. I just I just loved listening to it or, or consuming it and then uh the the broadcasting thing was always in in the back of my mind and then around 25 or so when a couple of other things uh, uh career-wise didn't work out for me I decided well I I better get in, I'm almost 25 now I better get my, my my stuff together here I'm not getting any younger uh this is almost 20 years ago now uh Let's let's try the journalism thing. Let's try the broadcasting thing and, and, and see what happens. Yeah, that's a funny thing because I always assumed that that was the goal for you as a kid. Even um, it wasn't a direct goal. I don't think I. I just knew that I liked I liked current affairs. I liked history. I didn't know if that'd be enough to 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 base a career on. Yeah. I, I know. Um, I mean, when I was a kid, I, I I thought I would end up being like an English major or 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 an English teacher, and I I, I actually directed myself uh, towards that goal for a bit, and then in first year, first or second year university, I decided, oh, if I have to read another novel and, and try to <laughs> tell people what it means, uh, I remember reading Wuthering Heights and and uh, going to class, and then the 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 the, the instructor's talking. Explaining all this symbolism that I clearly missed <laughs> about uh, you know w- you know Wuthering Heights and, and Thrushcross Grange and and how where Heathcliff lives is a dump and where Kathy lives is is this beautiful place and that, how that's supposed to represent their personalities and I got none of that reading the book but then you you go into the library and you, and you pick up a uh, a volume of literary criticism and have someone explain it to him like okay great but I don't want to write papers about that <laughs> yeah. for four years and then. I realized that I always loved current affairs and then and, and, and history and uh, 
my family's from from Central Europe, and uh, I always grew up around around the the, the dinner table on, on on Friday nights. My my, my dad would sort of launch into his um, monologues and uh, <laughs> talk about everything from the state of uh, BC politics to uh, to uh, to how uh, to, to to the to the economy in Hungary and, and, and why he had to, to leave uh, in uh, 1967 and uh, you know the, the, the merits and the, uh, the, the pitfalls of, uh, of uh, Qadar communism and all that so I, I grew up around that I think uh, and that, I think that sort of informed you know my, my future life choices I guess you just reminded me because um, um, I, I was thinking you know you've worked in all the day parts at that station mm-hmm. um, one of the memories I have of you listening to you was on the weekend mm-hmm. and um, you got to work with Andy Walsh late Andy Walsh I did yes um, what was that like I mean because he, he's obviously uh, how old was he when he died was he 85 90 he was ninety. Ninety. He, so he retired. He was eighty-five, and he retired uh, five, years, five years ago this yeah. past February. Yeah. So you you worked with him. Um, you were obviously of different, you were different ages. Obviously, yeah. there's a disparity there in the in the ages. What was that? What was he like to work with? Oh, he was he was um, he was like he's like the this grandfatherly figure uh, in the newsroom. Uh, no one, and I mean no one had the cross word about him and uh ours is a business where because we're in news we're all natural gossips and, <laughs> and the politics of the newsroom uh can sometimes manifest itself in a way that we gossip about each other but uh, i think uh, someone like andy is above the fray or was above the fray because he was just su- such a respected person and such a and this is a phrase that got thrown around a lot when when he when he passed away a few weeks ago. But he really was a gentleman of of broadcasting, and uh, he's a, he's a family man. He's a he, he was he's very very big about his uh, his children and his grandchildren, and uh, he was a member of his church, and he just he just quietly did what he did and of course he had that incredible that voice uh, that incredible voice uh i remember uh something joe leary wrote about andy in, in the province when he had his air traffic column mm-hmm. he said something like well when you listen to andy the words lie in state and that's that's a great phrase because yeah. uh um in uh, this the this this is delivery um I used to say uh, I used to joke in the newsroom because sometimes we used to read uh, traffic tags in the morning. I, 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 I wanted to suggest to the sales department, I'm like, you guys should probably charge a little more for that when Andy reads them, <laughs> because he had such an incredible voice. And uh, just as an aside, I worked um, in Victoria at, at Czech Television, and uh, one of uh, Andy's kids, uh, Michael Wallachian, was um, ran the commercial. Uh, production department at check for many years um and uh what he used to do is he would get andy to voice up certain things and then uh email them over or ftp them over so there'd be some i don't know if they're on youtube but they're around somewhere uh dodd's uh furniture ads with uh andy's uh unmistakable read on them uh you know you see gordy dodd doing something silly and then Andy comes on, not the same old song and dance at Dodd's Furniture. 
that's my that's my Andy impression. Uh, but yeah, and just uh, just a wonderful, really warm-hearted man. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I can't say enough about him, and he really comes from a time. Uh, he 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 kind of connects us to a really older time in broadcasting where he was he was an announcer. Yeah, so he wasn't much of a writer or or a, a reporter, but uh, you know he he he's one of those guys where uh, he would they would send him into a booth and he put like one hand <laughs> over his ear so he could hear himself, I guess, yeah. and he would just you know state the news like that. And then I always felt like Mickey Mouse reading with him because we would, <laughs> when we would dual anchor on the weekends, I'm Andy Walsh and I'm dual anchor. And, you know, I just felt like a little little pipsqueak next to him, but uh, he would he would disabuse me of that right away. He's like, no, no, you're you're fine. And he was ve- actually that's another great thing about Andy. He was very uh, generous and thoughtful of uh, of younger broadcasters because uh, working weekends as he did, he would he would. Uh, he would interface with all like the newest, mm. uh, least experienced people, cub reporters, um, on on the weekends or, or 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 sometimes on on evenings when he would fill in there. But uh, so he was always generous with his time, a, a great uh, mentor, and um, we're a, we're a little lesser for it with with Andy not uh, not around anymore. So I've been listening to you this week. Uh, you, you've been working the morning shift. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've been alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've heard you in, in the afternoon sometimes or with, with Curtis Doring or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, last year with Rhea Renouf. Yeah. Um, do, do you have a preference if you're w- with someone, say, in the booth? Or? Um, I think it depends on the situation. Um, in some in some contexts, it's, it's better to be alone. Um, if it's uh, on an election night, um, I like being alone for, like, the first bit. I think we we struck a really good balance this time around where I was alone for the top half of the half hour and then on the back half, uh, Charmaine De Silva, who's our news director, her and I just had a conversation and, yeah. and we were just we were just sort of talking, okay, w- w- our impressions of the night and then we were sort of doing really real-time analysis of what was going on um, and, and talking about those emerging storylines. But uh, to answer your question um, – I, I like I like having a co-anchor. I like having a co-host. I, I've had some great ones over the years. Um, uh, you seem like you're having more fun. And even that election with Charmaine, for example, mm-hmm. who I've been a big fan of since, well, when she was reading the news on the CBC and before that at NW, um, there was a time when she was at the other station where um, I guess they gave her a weekend to, to, to do a talk show. Yeah. And I thought that was so good to hear her. Not just read the news, but to talk about it. And I think hearing her again on election night was something that I kind of missed, not hearing her voice. Uh, I kind of wish that it would be the 70s again where the, you'd have the station manager come on and, and or the news director do editorials. <laughs> well, when you when you realize how big of a job Charmaine has, I'll there's, bet. there's yeah. not a lot of time to do on air. So I, I, am, I, I don't think I'm talking out of school when I say that it was a – it was a big treat for her personally too to be on the air and, and to and to flex those those muscles again. And as you say, she's certainly uh, she certainly hosted a, a few talk shows in her time. So I was I was quite confident having her in the room because she would know exactly what to do. Um, the, the other thing that I read quite a, a lot this year of were memoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, there are about four or five on my list here. 
uh, Tara McGuire's uh, book, Holden After and Before, Harrison Mooney's Invisible Boy, uh, Elamin Abdul Mahmoud's Son of Elsewhere. Uh, that's the one book this year that I read, and I, I openly sobbed as I was reading it. There's one scene in that book that I thought it's just a beautiful book. Marshall Lederman's Kiss the Red Stars, uh, Stairs. Pardon me. Um, are memoirs something that you like reading too? I I I I like that you picked up on that because I I do I one of my favorite genres of of nonfiction if if it's, if, if you have genres of nonfiction mm-hmm. uh, is the memoir. I I love you know. Uh, going kind of stepping into someone else's shoes and 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 getting their uh, perspective and, and and their life story and I find I find memoirs and I find autobiographies fascinating and if you went to my house right now you would see that many of the books that I have are memoir or biography or, or autobiography and, and you listed some good ones there. Um, uh, I mentioned the Trottier book. Um, you did an interview with uh, Aaron Volpatti. Mm-hmm. Fighter. I, yeah, that's a very good book. I only when I when I talked to him, I only read about say the first quarter of it, and I actually f- started reading more of it after we did the interview. And I thought it was very well written uh, for a hockey memoir. Well, uh, <laughs> I guess that's the Brown as, as, education. That's what I was going to yeah. say. That was my next comment. As, as as you and I have talked about in the past, he did go to Brown. Yeah. So he <laughs> he is an intelligent, thoughtful man and uh, a, a, a terrific athlete too. And now he's. He's taken both of those things, and he's now he's a a life coach, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for lack of a better term. And then the back the back end of the book is sort of his philosophy of visu- visualization. Because um, to get into the book a little bit, he talks about this uh, this this camping accident where he suffers burns to most of his body, yeah. and uh, all the doctors are telling him, "Okay, maybe you'll." Well, you can get on some skates uh, in a, in a year or two, and he's like, "No, I want to. I want to play. I want to let's go. Yeah. yeah. So I want to be on the ice in the fall, and just the way he uh, details like that that healing process and and playing like you, you talk, like hockey players like to talk about playing hurt. That's all he does is yeah. is, is, is play hurt uh, in, in the early going there, and this and then just a guy like him like. The, as he talks about in the book, just, just beating the odds, like he he barely made it into uh, into you know BCHL hockey in in Vernon, and then to get to uh, to get to the NHL as he did, and then uh, as we talked about in the interview, uh, him and I, he also happened to his, his uh, he also got, happened to be a, a part of that that Canuck squad that would go to yeah. twenty eleven. So you know, not not too shabby for your first year of hockey. Indeed. Um, did I leave any books that you want to talk about? I, 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 I don't um, have a list in front of me, but people can go to the City News 1130 website and, and see it there. And They sure can. Uh, we talked about Pleasant Good Evening. Uh, let me see here. Um, there's a great book, um, The Acid Room, which is about Hollywood Hospital in New York. Oh, yeah, I want to read that, yeah. That is a great book. I don't have the author's names in front of me. Well, Jesse Donaldson is the co-author, and he is one of... Uh, a fantastic group of local historians. We, we have a here. great group of local historians. I mean, uh, ever we're since kind of spoiled a little bit in Vancouver. So it, it, Chuck Davis dies. Um, instead of an, one Chuck Davis, we've we've got like as you mentioned a moment ago, we have Eve Lazarus, we have Aaron Chapman, Donaldson, uh, Belshaw, John Belshaw. Um, we're, we're spoiled here, we're, as you said. We're, mm-hmm. we're just we're very lucky, and, and all kinds of history too. Whatever you're interested in. 
like the drug culture is not something that I would. But but I heard that interview on the radio with with you and and, and the author, and I that's something that I want to read. That's that is such a that is such an interesting book, and uh, um, that book I, th- I believe it's part of a series uh, that Arsenal I think it's Arsenal. Or is it Amble? Or those those short books, Yeah, it's right? called 49.2. Um, mm. And then the the one before that, or uh, the one before that was Jesse Donaldson did a book about there's Vancouver's one, on, one and only town fool. Yeah, and then, and one, then on the one before estate. that was Land of Destiny, which is a fantastic book. Uh, I would I would put that on, on a list of books that people who are new to the city need to read. Yeah. Because it talks about basically the history of land speculation in Vancouver, of real estate in Vancouver. And um, I'm, I'm probably bungling the phrase, but I think Jesse put it this way. It's like Vancouver has been selling itself from day one. Yeah. Like the whole thing started as a, as a, as a real estate speculation. And he, and he gets into how, uh, you know, the, the terminus of the CPR was supposed to be Port Moody. But, you know, certain things happen and end up being <laughs> in Vancouver instead. And that's in the book, too. And then he brings it right up to the present day. And then in between you have figures like Jack Poole and then Gordon Campbell and Marathon Realty and, and Expo, which was basically yeah. uh, a way to have a, a, a sort of a coming out party of sorts um, for, for, for real estate speculation. Yeah, that, he's a marvelous writer, too, and a very entertaining one at that. Um, this is we're taping this the day before, but um, this will be out the thirty first, mm-hmm. uh, which is the birthday of Rafe Mayer. Yes, Rafe would have been ninety one years old, um, and and you mentioned uh, or I mentioned in the introduction, uh, and you talked about this earlier, um, that you got to work on that show. This is the the um, six hundred AM version. This right? is yeah. This is uh, CKBD was the call sign in those days. Um, if you're keeping score at home, that station is now uh, uh, 1027 now on the main channel, and then it's still the peak on the HD sub-channel. Uh, but that license is uh, was CKBD 600, and then going back, that's the old uh, CJOR. Yeah, Jesus Our Redeemer was the... Christ Jesus, our Redeemer, yeah, that's right? right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you see, there you go. Uh, now I'm going to look up all these call names and and, and but they were, commit they them were, to memory. But they were CKBD, and just as an aside, before they were CKBD, uh, and after they were CJOR, from 1988 to 1994, they were CHRX, which is a fantastic um, classic rock station that I listened to as a kid. Like uh, my mom would uh, always have the radio on, and like you know, driving to church, uh, uh, the the flip uh, happened in '88 or so. And I remember listening to CHRX as a kid and hearing all, all these uh, great classic rock songs. And uh, they were doing that classic rock format before um, CFMI, mm. which was basically which was still competing with CFOX in those days as a as a as a as a straight up. Uh, rock uh rock station and then that was that was back when um uh, that was when cds were becoming big and all the the boomers were replacing their vinyl with cds and then someone happened upon this idea of making classic rock uh, a radio format and then patterson did it first with uh with chrx and then when they went off the air because um late 80s early 90s uh people were realizing that music on AM wasn't really sustainable anymore. So when they flipped in 94 to, to CKBD to a Christian station, uh, I remember uh, CFMI was running liners, welcome CHRX listeners. <laughs> and then they they tweaked what they were doing to be more 
uh, of the classic rock focus, I guess they are now. So and when you when, when you worked on the Rafe Mayer show at the time, I remember he would he would always refer to them as Brand X, um, and there was a lot of talk about these people coming over. Yeah, and it's probably the last time that's happened in this market, right? Yeah, well, yeah. When when you cross the street like that, you don't tend to, uh, especially the way that all happened. Um, Yeah, you don't. I don't think you really talk about. uh, um, I I don't. I don't know if it's good form even now to talk about your your competition like that or and like just name the name. You know, (laughs) we don't. We don't do stuff like that. I don't think anyone else does stuff like that. The the um, the uh, Moamir once told me that that um, he was working somewhere. And uh, he had mentioned another station, and he was told afterwards that, yeah, we're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and don't do it again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've had people come over from different stations and uh, and train with us, and then they end up saying uh, their old station by accident. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. Or I can think of one case where one of our <laughs> folks went over to work in the tower, and they still said... Uh, News eleven thirty on their on that station's prime morning program, and and the host telling them, "Well, you won't do that again, will you?" <laughs> no, sir. Yeah. Well, what was Rafe Mayer like? I mean, um, I, I got to know him. He, he was the most frequent guest on this podcast. He did it, I think, ten or eleven times. Um, but I got to know him um, as a listener, mm-hmm. and um, through his writing and through, through his editorials and, and and the books that he wrote. Was he the same person on the air as he was off? Uh, you know, I can't really say too much about that because when I worked with when I worked on that show, I was I was brand new to the business. So as an as a little squeaky intern, I wouldn't have had much to do with Rafe. I I have m- more memories and experience of working with uh, with his producer Sherelle uh, Tobin and and her associate producer. Uh, uh, Jane Soden, uh, give a shout out to, to Jane there. Uh, but I just remember coming in and by the time I came in to do my thing, Rafe was on the air. I would sit in his chair. I would, you know, play with his vintage radio, uh, <laughs> and, and just see all the books there and just marvel at the, at the board with all the names of the guests on there and just learning the, the, the craft of, of, of talk radio, the way that, uh, uh, Rafe and Sherelle and Jane and did it. So, and I was there to learn. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed like learning how to do uh, cover sheets and, 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 and the work that goes into a successful uh, talk show. So that's, that's what I took away from it. I only got to know Rafe on a, on a better level than that, just interviewing him about his books. Yeah. Um, he'd have like one a year come out. And, and yeah, I remember listening there. to him with you and, and, it seemed like he 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 liked talking to you, um, and um, so you'd go up to Lions Bay and, and record with them. Is that right? I I did I do I went to Lions Bay a couple of times. One time I went to uh, his favorite uh, restaurant and had lunch with him. I think this is when he was promoting. He had this little paperback called Radio Days, mm. which is just talking about uh, uh, his days on. Uh, uh, well, I mean, he, I, I I noticed that in all of his memoirs, he kind of does the backstory. And tells little radio stories, but that book was strictly about radio, and he talks about uh, starting out at OR and then going to NW. And uh, we did that interview. I, I did that on a little portable Marantz recorder at this little diner coffee shop place in Horseshoe Bay, which is like next door to Trolls. And I remember he had like a, a grilled cheese and an orange juice. And then another time, we went to a cafe just around the corner from his place. 
in Lions Bay and he had to get a muffin or something. We just we just did the chat out there and that was that was for when he did a book called uh I remember horse buns. <laughs> yeah. Which is about old Vancouver and I go, What are horse buns? And horse buns are basically the little horse uh, droppings. Horse droppings, <laughs> right. And you used to step in them uh in, in those days. So it was he's a, as an old time Vancouver right as he was, it was it was it was fun to kinda get uh, get those memories from him as well. Uh, but yeah, it was always always a great interview, and actually, I got him to sign my copy of uh, I Remember Horse Buns, and I have a picture of him, you know, scrolling it out there on that little patio furniture out there in front of Lions Bay, out in front of the cafe there in Lions Bay. Then afterwards, we went to his house, and uh, it uh, the living room looks a lot like this actually, like uh, <laughs> like, like Planta World Headquarters here, uh, with books lining everything, and I and I and I I kind of thought, well, I, I, I have a problem too. I have a lot of books and then I haven't read a lot of them. And he's like, oh, don't feel bad. You don't have to read them all cover to cover. Just read what you want and then and then you move on. <laughs> so that's good because I, I to this day, have a, I have a house uh, uh, full of uh, half-read or half-started or unfinished books. He it's, was such a unique figure. And yeah. and to, to, to be in his orbit, uh, briefly as I was, mm-hmm. um you just never forget that stuff, and and it, as a listener, it's hard to believe because it, you know, you listen to this guy for years. This is the guy who defeated the Charlottetown Accord. You ask him, he'll tell you. <laughs> he'll tell you. Um, he would tell you. Um, and and to, you know, just to talk to him about, you know, he had one book where he talked about uh, his journey spiritually mm-hmm. and with religion. Well, he, had, yeah. he did a series, I think, on on, uh, on uh, the TV on, on, uh, on ne- with was, Greg McCullough. Yeah, was it Now TV? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, a spiritual and, journey. And I asked him, you know, what happens when you die? And I went back to listen to it after he died, and it's kind of eerie. But, I mean, you know, he just he's, he, we'll never see that like again on radio, will we? For better or worse. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it, it gets back to, like, there's so many things to read and to listen to now. I think you might. I, I think the problem, though, is there's, we don't have that monoculture anymore. Where like you only had like the two stations that did did talk, or the or the three TV channels, or the two newspapers, or an agreed set of facts, or agreed set of facts. Now you have you have people you know getting their information from other people's homemade YouTube documentaries, <laughs> or and then you have like this universe universes of podcasts. Both you know, I think. The the good thing about technology is that it's democratized uh, the means of production of making this stuff of making of making and producing content. The bad the bad thing is is that if everybody can do it, um, there's no real you need you still I think you still need someone to curate it. Yeah, which is where uh, an operation like ours comes in. That you know there's still journalists checking this stuff and curating it. And writing it and crafting it—it's not just uh, someone going uh, half cock. Because you can have people call into the radio station and say, "Oh, there's 50 cop cars here," and I'm thinking, "Okay, so all the cop cars are at this incident <laughs> you're talking about? All of them in creation? Yeah. Uh, you still need—you um, still need critical voices and people to question uh, question the narrative, and and just people trained to do this stuff." And I know it, that's that's a bit of a loaded thing to say because. Uh, oh yeah, you'll be you'll be criticized as a gatekeeper or you criticized yeah. as a gatekeeper, and then at a time when 
media is going through its own issues with trust, but also as well because certain people don't accept the the received narrative on something like COVID, mm-hmm. uh, and that, or, or you or this or the um, the, the storyline about how uh, the media is paid off because. Uh, the liberal government bailed out the the print sector or something like <laughs> yeah, that. So yeah. then we're all we're all in his employ apparently, uh, which I haven't seen the check yet, uh, and no one there's no there's no central uh, office telling me what to cover and how to cover it. <laughs> that doesn't exist. Uh, John, it's been uh, fun t- t- talking to you. This has just whizzed by. Um, uh, it's been fun to meet you finally, mm-hmm. um, and I, I so appreciate you uh, coming in to do this. Appreciate this. Uh, thanks for the forum. Thanks for what you do. Uh, at J Ackerman is the Twitter handle. You can catch John weekday afternoons on radio station City News 1130. Uh, John Ackerman joined me in person here in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.